even in the darkest of times, in the darkest of places, the light of Jesus changes everything. That's the hope we're looking for. I I need your help to kind of guide us through this first illustration to remind us just how powerful the, the light is. In this dark room right now, as I read the text, I would ask you to take out your phones if you have your phone. And as, as you hear the word light, just expose the light of your phone to the, uh, to the room. And we're gonna illuminate with our light in representation of what Christ has done for this dark world. The main text for today is Isaiah chapter nine again, and we see the light that's coming. When you hear the word light in the text, just turn on your light in your phone, please. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light shone. For to us the child is born, and to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's give praise to God for the light of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, we need the reminder of that hope that that light brings and now as much as ever, as any Christmas season that I have entered into, uh, it is such a joy to speak of the light of Jesus Christ and the hope he gives because everything's different. But here's the cool part. He changes everything to the way he wants. One thing that has changed, at least that I've noticed this Christmas, maybe at a a more rapid pace than ever before is just shopping. Uh, whether it's shopping at IGA or Buckeyes or, or whatever local store you're going to, whether uh, it, you go to Walmart or even the mall, shopping is just different. And for the most part, I'm okay with that. On a side note, I would ask you pray for the local business owners, whether they run a store or a restaurant or uh, a service they provide, they are going through a very different time. We need to pray for them and support them whenever we can. But that, we're just going through a different time. I noticed it was shopping, especially during this uh, holiday shopping season that started, the Black Friday. The way it was different for me is I didn't do any, just none. And I was okay with that for the most part, you know? And then it got to Saturday. I'm like, hey, I should probably start this process. So I stayed right here in the area, did some shopping here. And then I went over to Vandalia to the store where uh, possesses everything my boys desire, uh, Farm and Fleet, you know? It's just, just the store that they, everything on their list is pretty much there. So as I was going through there, I noticed something different uh, this season than ever before. Even though it was Saturday, I missed the doorbusters. Uh, the stores the on site are just not doing the doorbusters like they have done in the past, I think. I think they're cautious about bringing too many people. The whole idea of a thousand people trying to get through two doors at one moment is not a great idea anymore. The doorbusters have changed. By the time I got there Saturday, they were pretty much gone. And I noticed that. How many of you have ever uh, been a sucker like I have for a good doorbuster, okay, on Black Friday? Man, you guys, we need to have a little bit more confidence. Sometimes the doorbusters are good. You know, the doorbusters really is that that thing that you didn't know you needed, but the price was so good you couldn't pass it up. I have bought all kinds of doorbusters in the past, anything from towels. I'm talking dish towels. I'm like, why am I buying dish towels on Black Friday? to tools. And that, that kind of got me going, hey, these, these tools are a good price. But, but a doorbuster, it, it, the whole idea is just to get you going, get you in the store. And I miss that. I miss that this year. But I share that with you to get you in mind of the real doorbuster. Not by any ridiculous ad, but by the word of God. You're like, what are you talking about, Tyson? I'm talking about the words of Jesus Christ himself in Revelations chapter three. This gets me fired up of the power of our mighty God. Jesus declares this. These words are in red. If you've got a Bible that highlights the words of Jesus, here's what it says. 
Jesus declares, these are the words of him who is holy and true. This is Jesus talking about himself as he speaks about himself, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Think about that for a little bit. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That's the power of Jesus. Whatever he puts into place is going to happen. And whatever he says no to is done, period. That's our mighty God. That's who we serve. That's who saves us. Jesus is all-powerful, mighty God. The forces of nature can't stop him. Politics don't change his plans. The economy doesn't slow down his progress. No man, company, or government can ever shut the doors that he says are open. Amen? That's who, that's who Jesus is. And he deserves our praise and glory. Now, it may seem, especially if you're at home, and maybe you're in the hospital listening, and this thing of this world has kind of changed things. It may appear that the world has succeeded for a moment to slow down the plans of Jesus. But nothing is further from the truth. There are no barriers. There are no boundaries. There's no pandemic. There's no locked door that will slow Jesus down. Jesus said, I, what I open, no one can shut, and what I shut, no one can open. At times, it may seem like the world has, has had some success slowing down or shutting the doors of the church. There's a time when, when it was the, the, a wise decision of our elders to say, hey, we're not going to gather. We're going to keep the doors shut uh, except for essential things for a while. Well, we believe one of the most essential things that we can do behind these doors is, is praise God and worship Him. Now, there may be a time because of just sickness among our own church family, the leadership or the staff, that we would s slow down and shut for a moment. But even when these doors are shut, the church is not shut down. Amen? The church continues to grow. So whenever uh, God is putting something into motion, he's opening doors open, whether the doors of a building are shut or not. Listen to what Jesus says as he declares what will happen when people declare him as the Messiah. In Matthew 16, Peter has just announced with his voice that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. And and. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to build my church on this truth, this rock that, that I am the mighty God. I'm going to build the church of that, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Guys, while we see some things coming against our culture, things we love, and maybe even the church at times, there is nothing that's going to shut the door on the church and what God's doing in it. Nothing. Let it be known that we serve a mighty God, and nothing will overcome that. The people of Isaiah's time need to be reminded of that. We have to have the context of this again. Isaiah is writing in our main text in Isaiah chapter 9, 700 years before Jesus was born. It was in a very dark time. Uh, uh, the whole world was walking in, in extreme darkness. Uh, they, many of the people felt overwhelmed. As Isaiah wrote this, they had been conquered recently by the Assyrians, and, and they were a brutal people. There was still a king. King Ahaz of God's people, he was still kind of a token king. And you've got to understand, God never intended for us to be ruled by a king, uh, especially his people, the Israelites. When they said they wanted a king like the other nations, God said, hey, it's a bad idea. The kings are going to lead you astray because they're, they're merely human. And there were a few good kings who followed the, the spirit of God and, and tried to stay true to God's word. But by this time, King Ahaz was, was fully developed and committed to the world's views. So much so, this may blow your mind, but it's true. God's king, 
that, that was over his people sacrificed his own son to a pagan God to gain more power and political clout. God's people were being led by such flawed individuals that it, their kingdom was in ruins. Because of his leadership or lack of leadership, God's people were stressed out. They were afraid. They were walking in darkness. There was financial ruin, moral decay, and a spiritual disaster had come over them. And Isaiah says, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And they're like, uh, I'm sure they were ready, but they had to wait another 700 years. Isaiah's prophecy, though, brought hope to this darkness. Isaiah said, the sadness is going to be replaced by joy. Pause here just for a moment. If you feel like you're in darkness right now, Jesus is the one who can change that. If you're full of sadness, he can bring joy because your path, your future is secure because what Jesus opens for you can never be removed by anyone else. The enemy's power will be broken. By who? Here's the interesting thing where the miracle really starts to take place. All of this that we're talking about, this great power, this mighty God is brought to us in the form of a child. Not just any child, though, the Son of God. Look back to the text, Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government, there will be no end. And of peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over the kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. No one could shut this time of his kingdom. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's passion for us to be with him, for us to be saved, will make this complete. It's all going to happen by a baby that would be king, a mighty king. In those days, it was very common for a king, once they kind of established their qualities, once they kind of uh, uh, had a rhythm of leadership, they would be renamed to, to fit who they were, what, the qualities they possessed. Here's what's amazing. This would usually, usually take years for a king to develop these new names. And then they would be established, you know, uh, this is the king that did this. This is the king who is like this. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah had the foreknowledge of the Holy Spirit to say, this new king that's coming, the Messiah, these are what he's going to be. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These qualities were known 700 years before he's even born. God wants us to have a real understanding of who Jesus is. He's the mighty God. I can relate to this. Uh, whenever our first child was born, you know, you, you know him as Dawson senior in high school right now, it was about a day Tiff and I looked at each other and like, what, what are we going to name him? You know, it, it took some time for us to land on a name. I'm not sure why we hadn't established it. We had talked about hundreds of names and then it, we landed on Dawson. 700 years before Jesus, he was named. He was coming to, to provide exactly what we needed. The first one we talked about last week was the wonderful counselor. I wonder how many of you have sought out counsel since last Sunday from the word through time in prayer or maybe through a friend. I have been uh, gratefully blessed whenever I have practiced any or all three of those this last week. Uh, my greatest earthly counselor, uh, a sister in Christ is my wife. She gives me counsel every day, whether I want it or not. And usually it's right on the money, okay? The word of God has never let me down. I've enjoyed the December Bible reading. If you've not done that, jump on board with us today. 
uh, let's, let's read uh, from the prophets and, and the New Testament of who Jesus is. But more than anything, we know that Jesus is that wonderful counselor who fully knows you and fully loves you. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. In Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. I have to admit, my greatest counselor on earth is Tiffany, my wife. And there are some days where I still hesitate revealing her maybe my concerns or even fears or doubts because is she gonna think less of me or not? She may already know I feel that way, but it's hard for me to express it sometimes whenever I am in a weak moment. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He already knows that. So, so go to him and let him know, know him, uh, let him know that you have a need. Let him know you have a concern and ask him to guide you. Now your brothers and sisters in Christ will help you as well, but Jesus already knows it. And he fully loves you, knowing everything about you. What an amazing truth. If you're listening at home right now and you've never known that, that Jesus already knows your heart, he knows your past and your future. That's why you can trust him so much. While humans will at times let you down, while pastors will fail you, while parents may walk away, Jesus Christ doesn't. He fully knows you and fully loves you. And he's also the mighty God. That's what we're going to focus on today. While he understands everything about you, he has the ability to accomplish anything that you need. Jesus is strong. He's superior. He's omnipotent. That means he has all power. It's a concept like Ben was talking about a little bit ago. You know, when Jesus was born, can you imagine his little hands coming up, uh, these cute little precious hands? And in those same hands, uh, in, in that uh, uh, parallel concept of who he was as Jesus, the mighty king, he was sustaining the entire earth and the entire universe and everything we see. That's who Jesus is. He's the mighty God. It blows our minds. I think as a four-year-old, though I understood it better than I even do now. As a four-year-old in Bethany Christian Church in Washington, Indiana, I sat around a little kidney bean-shaped table with a teacher in front of me and about six other four or five-year-olds, and we sang my favorite song at that point in my life. It's called, My God is So Big. How many know the song, My God is So Big? I'm gonna sing it for you right now. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Anybody know it now? I had the tune perfect, didn't I, Ben? There's a reason you're, you lead us in worship, Ben. You're great. Now, here's the reality. As a, as a child, the reason I committed that, I, sh- I sang with all my heart. I believed the stories completely. And there was nothing that God never, had never done for me yet that, that I thought he should have. Now there's things that I wish God would do for me. And he says, Tyson, that's not the time. And I began to doubt, is God really going to do what he does? He does. But do we trust him? He has that same power that he did uh, in my life at four-year-olds that he does now at 40, but sometimes we begin to doubt. I would encourage you to trust the God that he says he is, that he's always been, that raised from the dead, that he is the mighty God. He can do everything that he says he does and, and more than we could imagine. But do dark times come? Absolutely. Jesus was proclaimed about 700 years before he was born. Fast forward 700 more years to whenever he's about to be born. No longer is God, are God's people really uh, troubled by the Assyrians. Now they're troubled by the Roman government. And it's an oppressive government with taxes, with rules and regulations. Oh, you could do this or that as long as you come under Caesar. Man, it was a dark place and they wanted a mighty savior. They were praying that the, the savior would be a warrior. But you know how he came? As a baby, born of a virgin, laying in a manger. It didn't make any sense. Uh, Let's go to this first time that we see proof of him 
in, in Scripture in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And he wasn't announced to a political leader or, a, or a, 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 a rich person, but he's announced to the lowliest people of the day, shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I think that's an understatement. They're out there with the sheep, hanging out, kind of mind their own business. Nobody's definitely bothering them because they stink. People stay away from them in general. And here all of a sudden, angels are there, and they were definitely terrified. Here's a picture of this past uh, weekend of the live nativity, uh, some of the shepherds. If you uh, were at the live nativity, you entered just over here, and you went down the, the long corridor of darkness, just uh, dimly lit. You enc encountered the prophets that didn't say anything, right? They were just sitting there. And then you come around, and you see off in the distance the shepherds just kind of minding their own business. Nobody would have bothered them. And yet God had a, a plan to declare his mighty God perfectly interrupts the ordinary with the with divine extraordinary. God, God is willing to, to show the extraordinary things that he's willing to do to the most ordinary people because he came for all people. He came for you. It, it was in this miracle of not only his birth, but his announcement that we see God's love for people. And it made no sense, so we can trust him that when your life is chaotic, he can break through at any moment with, with a, a thousand angels, with, with more than we can imagine to do whatever he needs to do. I wonder if you're trusting him. You may be in a very dark place doing ordinary things, thinking that no one even's noticing, and God can break through to meet your needs like that. He did it with the shepherds. Ordinary people... And he breaks through with extraordinary miracle. Do we trust him to do it at just the right time? I want to share also from the New Testament. Paul writes the, uh, the church here, and, and he is letting them know that in their midst of their struggle, at the right time, God can do miracles. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 4. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. Now the law meant if you were subject to the law, it meant that if you sinned and there was no sacrifice, you would die forever. So we were subject to that law. We were under sin and we were under uh, the condemnation that, that the law brought. God sent this son, him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Adoption comes at a high price. Whether it's locally or from a foreign land, there, there are uh, policies and, and things you have to jump through. There's often a price to be paid, literally financially. There's an emotional uh, risk as you step into this process. But that does not pale. It pales in comparison completely to what Jesus did for us uh, in, through the Father. Jesus was sent as God's son to bring us as sons and daughters into his kingdom. There was a price to pay to bring daily into our family, and it was a blessing. But I have to admit, as a father, I would have not given up my, any of my four boys to bring her in. But that's what God did with Jesus. He gave up. He didn't have four. He gave up one son at this point so that we could become sons and daughters. You talk about an amazing, extraordinary price to pay to bring ordinary people into his family. If there's someone that represents us, it might as well be shepherds because we stink most of the time through our sin, through our mistakes. And yet God says, I'm going to give up my son 
so you can be saved. Let's continue to look at the story next to the angels. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. After you went past the shepherds, if you're at the live nativity, you saw the angels. These four angels did a great job representing a heavenly host to give glory to God. And on this night, it was very towards the end. They were very much freezing, okay? I appreciate all the students that did this. But that first night, the angels stood there for two hours without any heat, declaring that, that there was a, a heavenly host of angels giving glory to God. Our mighty God provides miracles in a surprising way. Whoever expects to see a, a host of angels in the middle of a pasture watching sheep, but our mighty God provides miracles and he still does it today. But often they are much like Jesus coming, they don't make sense. You're gonna find a baby laying in a manger that would be king, the Messiah? Why isn't he in the palace uh, uh, with, with the, the most glorious baby robe ever developed with gold and silver and yet he's just wrapped with strips? His diaper is a mess probably by now because he was fully God and fully human. This doesn't make any sense. He, he, he is uh, laying there uh, among uh, the, the animals in a feeding trough. Oftentimes God's miracles doesn't make sense, but whatever door he opens, you can't shut. And whatever door he shuts, you can't open. He's the mighty God. The Jews wanted a, a warrior Messiah that would be king on earth to develop an army to overcome uh, Caesar and the Roman government. And yet they got so much more the perfect sacrifice to take away our sins. Oftentimes we want a miracle too, but God provides them in different ways. God still does miracles today. I think of the children who, who uh, doctors will say they don't have a chance and yet they flourish. I think of marriages who are broken and, and people are like, I don't know how we're gonna see through. And God uh, uh, reconciles the relationships and makes a more beautiful thing than they ever could have imagined. God does miracles in, in ways that we never thought of. You may pray for instant healing. Instead, God gives you an amazing doctor to lead you through recovery. You may pray for a fast financial win or a gift to get you over the hump. And what God does, instead of help let you win the lottery, he gives you more overtime at work. You may pray that God would speak to you through a sign or a wonder. Instead, he comes to you with a Christian friend that gives you advice and counsel. You may want a voice from heaven instead of you hear words of a sermon or a song that touches your heart. You pray that God would avenge that person who broke your heart, who did you wrong. And instead of God seeking revenge on them, he changed your heart so you could forgive them and heal that relationship. You may, you may pray that your parent or your spouse is changed so you can bear to live with them. And in that prayer, God provides a way for your own heart to be changed so that that relationship could be restored we serve a mighty god of miracles who is perfect in all he does there's nothing our god cannot do so seek him there's one more image i want you to see from the live nativity but more than anything i want you to see it from the word of god in luke chapter 2 here's what the word says suddenly the great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels so there's angels upon angels Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. It's the most beautiful word picture I believe we could ever write that God sent his son to be our savior, that we were invited to engage him. We are invited to trust in him. Look at this picture though from the live nativity. It declares here that our mighty God deserves all the glory we can give him no matter the cost. I want you to look back and look at these words. The angels, as they, as they uh, uh, announced Christ's birth, they said, glory to God. They refrained from condemning the culture. Here, here's my greatest challenge, I think, for most of us today who are kind of fed up with the times of world we're living in, with the chaos and the mess we're in. So many times we like to highlight the things we're frustrated with and we make these announcements, well, this is wrong and we condemn this or that. I, I challenge you this Christmas season and I think it'll rub off uh, for the years to come, but instead of condemning the world around us, let's do more celebrating Christ. So much of the time we're tempted to say uh, this or that is wrong about the world we live in and we forget to mention Jesus at all. While I know you're hurting, in this room and at home, while I know things are not the way we want, Christ is still king. And what doors he opens can't be shut. And what doors he shuts can't be opened. And he deserves glory. Notice the angels didn't say this. Well, there's a problem in Israel. Everybody knew there's a problem. They didn't say, uh, 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 the governor of your area is a crazy man. Everybody knew that. Herod had lost his mind pretty much. Uh, the angel didn't say you're walking in darkness and there is no hope for you. What the angel declared was the Messiah had been born to take away the sins of the world. So this Christmas season, especially when you're tempted to condemn the world and talk about leaders that have went crazy and policies that are a mess, refrain from that for a moment and point people to Jesus who changes everything. How do you do that though? The angels sit, uh, specifically gave an invitation. They, they let it be known that Jesus had come for them. But when the angels left, even though they, weren't, they didn't receive a card, they just said uh, the Messiah had been born, the shepherds did what we need to do. Notice the shepherds didn't say, well, guys, I think we should get a good night's rest and uh, leave camp tomorrow to find the Messiah. Or, or they didn't say we should go back and ask our boss if we can have uh, Christmas off. They, they didn't say, well, I wonder if it's going to be permissible to leave the, the sheep unattended for a while. They left all that behind and they went after seeking the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Ordinary shepherds were the first to see the mighty God because they were willing to risk the comfort in the normalcy of their lives to give glory to God. Look what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 17. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard this were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When they had seen Jesus, when they saw the miracle before them, they didn't keep quiet. They went off to, to share with anyone that would listen and even people that wouldn't. And everyone who heard, everyone who took time to, to hear the message were amazed. Guys, the same is true today. Our world is dark. It's hungry for Christ. But who are you telling? Oh, we better make sure this is okay. We better uh, uh, get a good night's sleep. We better ask uh, if this is going to work out. No, we need to go out with the message. The worst thing we can do concerning a miracle, whether it's about Christ or something else in your life, is not let others know it happened. Our silence concerning the mighty God is Satan's greatest desire. 
I'll say that again. Satan's greatest desire right now is for us as churches, as church, as brothers and sisters in Christ to be silent about the miracle of Jesus. I don't find it a coincidence for only the second time since we went online. I don't even know if we're still streaming. Right before the service started, it went dead. Because I think somebody online needs to hear this. Jesus Christ died for you and loves you and you're to tell others. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't even have to come to this building. When you know this truth, you can be like the shepherds and you can tell the entire world that the Messiah, the Son of God has come to save us, to give us hope. If you've never heard that today, it can be for you today. I believe the biggest sickness for the church today is not a virus, but it's being silent. Our nation, our churches are in a dilemma because we as Christians remain quiet concerning Christ. Satan's desire is to silence the church. So so what do we do to, to overcome that? What do we do to fight back? Well, the word of God tells us, look with me again to Revelations chapter 12 says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation, the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by, pay attention to this, by the blood of the lamb. The first way, the only way we can really triumph over Satan and and death is by uh, accepting the sacrifice of Christ's blood. Sacrifice of the Old Testament covered over sin, but the blood of Jesus, scripture says, it washes us clean, whiter than snow. It removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. We have to rely on the blood of the lamb and trust in it. And by the word of their testimony, just like the shepherds, we need to make a testimony of what Christ has done for us. And here's the third thing. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. One of the dangers right now in our world is that we love, so, we love life so much and we want to hold on to life so strongly that we quit living. We need to understand that even if we face death, the blood of Christ saves us, that we should share that testimony. And even if it means we die here on earth, we will never be silent on his behalf. So tell others that he saved you from your sin. Let him know that he brings peace in the midst of problems, that he turns your sadness into joy, that in the midst of dark times, his light provides hope. This Christmas season, I wanna challenge you, as people are distracted by the chaos of this world, celebrate Jesus. I wanna give you one tool today. We're trying to give a tool to your hands each week, something you can do to, to motivate your mind, to keep you focused. This week is really simple. It is two candy canes in a bag with a scripture and a little poem that celebrates that as you look at the the red stripes on this candy cane, remember the blood that we just said was gonna be the only thing that can overcome death and be ready to, with your words, give a testimony that it's Jesus who shed that blood so we can be saved and know that the staff, the shape of the cane resembles that he's our good shepherd that will lead us so we can be with him forever. Now, some of you, this tool may not work. It may not be something that's naturally a good fit for you, but I encourage you uh, to put this in your car, maybe in your purse or on, on the counter at work, wherever it may be, and be a reminder for you to celebrate, not condemn. And I would ask that none of you partake in either one of these candy canes, even if you don't give them away, until you have celebrated Christ as somebody that doesn't know. So at the end of the season, if these still, if you haven't shared 
don't, don't partake in these. But I would say once you tell this, my encouragement would be to give one candy cane to a friend and then you joy as well and be reminded that Christ died for both of you. Because the scripture on here is true. It's what drives us. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. Christ did not come to condemn, so we shouldn't either. Christ came to save and he needs to be celebrated. Hey, we started this time off by celebrating that what doors Christ opens, no one can shut. And what doors he shuts, no one can open. That's Revelation chapter three. In the same chapter, Jesus says these words, that kind of is totally different, but supports the same concept. Jesus does what, what he can do whatever he wants. And as it, as it pertains to you and I, he doesn't just blow through the door of our hearts, but he steadily knocks. Look with me to this text, Revelation chapter three, verse 20. He says this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. While Jesus has the power to open any door, when it comes to you and I in our hearts, he knocks. He patiently is there waiting for you to open the door to receive him. If you feel that today, if, if you've heard how much God loves you and he sent his son to die for you and you feel this urge on your heart, that's Jesus knocking. He's not gonna blow it open. He's waiting for you to open it. And once you open it, he will be with you forever. But if you resist him today and walk away, he too will just keep being at that door ready for you to receive him. Today, we're gonna to sing a song. It's called Mighty to Save. If you trust in Jesus right now that he is mighty to save you, let that confidence grow. But if you've never done that and you wanna make him Lord and Savior of your life today, please come forward. At home, uh, message DRI, give us a call Monday. Let us know that you're taking a step of faith and, and trusting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe it's just even today that you not only trust him, but you're ready to be made new and be baptized. He's waiting, he's ready. Would you stand with me as we sing? Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you that Jesus is the one who opens doors that no one can shut. And he shuts doors that no one can open again. I pray that we open our hearts to him and trust him for everything. Father, we celebrate that he's the mighty God, mighty to save. In his name we pray, amen.